This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for that, Miss Debbie. Uh, the, the reading this morning comes from uh, Habakkuk, the second chapter. So if you would, uh, turn with me there in your Bibles. Habakkuk chapter 2. And uh, we'll be reading the first six verses. Habakkuk 2, verse 1 is where we'll start. Whenever you find it, would you stay in? I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man, and he does not stay at home, because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Father, again, we come this morning in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for giving us Uh, Your Word, revelation of Your will in written form so that we may have it, read it, study it, Lord, so that we may know You and continually increase in the knowledge of the truth as we walk through this world. Lord, empower us, enable us by Your Spirit that we may live the life of faith that You've called us to live. That we may stand, that we may look to you, eager to hear from you. And Lord, that we may desire to do your will, to line up with your revelation. That we may live by faith, trusting wholeheartedly in you. You're worthy. Lord, You're worthy of our wholehearted devotion. You're worthy of total trust. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Just um, by way of reminder here, remember that uh, Habakkuk is pouring out his complaint to the Lord. 
uh, in the form of questions. In fact, this, this whole uh, revelation that we have in the book of Habakkuk is in the form of a dialogue, as I mentioned earlier on. And so you have God's man, Habakkuk, the prophet, dialoguing with Yahweh, God Himself, true, living God. He raises his questions, complaints, uh, as a matter of fact, and God answers. Uh, again, just a reminder of the issues here. Um, the prophet Habakkuk is troubled uh, by corruption in his own society. That is the nation of Israel. Uh, we read about in chapter 1 uh, all kinds of uh, uh, strife and injustice. Uh, all kinds of trouble, violence, he cries out to the Lord. So he's troubled by uh, corruption in his own society. He's troubled by the prosperity uh, of the enemy. We're just uh, now kind of getting into that section because of the Lord's answer to his original question. Uh, and, and now Habakkuk wants to know, Why, Lord, are you letting uh, the treacherous prosper over those who are more righteous? Quote, unquote. So he's troubled about the fact that the enemy, the wicked, prosper and that the righteous suffer. His questions, if you look back for a moment in chapter 1, verse 2, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it here. This is basically this. Why do you tolerate evil? That, that is Habakkuk's question for the Lord. It reads this way in verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? Or some translations there will say, why do you uh, tolerate uh, trouble or look upon trouble? So that's the original question. Essentially, again, this, why do you tolerate evil? Or more specifically, in his case, he's wondering about the corruption in his own society, the nation of Israel, and asking, Lord, why do you, why do you tolerate, that? tolerate this? There is, uh, there is injustice. The law is powerless. The wicked rule and judgment, uh, justice, rather, is never served. Judgment is perverted. Why do you allow this? And I, and I want you to think about something when, when we think about the word evil. And the way I paraphrase the question is, uh, why do you tolerate evil? When, when you think about the word evil, or, or uh, some uh, translations will often use the word calamity, uh, we're not just talking about sinful deeds of people, although that's certainly a primary uh, aspect. But we're also just talking about trouble in general, tragedies, <clears throat> Um. You could apply the word to things that we call natural disasters, like tsunamis and tornadoes and earthquakes. You could apply it to uh, things we just spoke about a moment ago, the losing of a loved one, the lost uh, life of a loved one. Trouble, trouble in the world. And Habakkuk is asking, Lord, why do you look upon this? And the implication is, why do you look upon this and do nothing? Why do you tolerate it? It's, he's, he's picturing the Lord in his question as though he were standing back watching and not intervening. 
And Habakkuk is asking why. It's an age-old question, by the way. Why is there evil in the world? Why is trouble allowed? Well, the Lord, on that question, comes back with the answer that He is indeed going to judge Israel. Uh, But as we talked about before, it's not going to look like what Habakkuk may have wanted. He essentially says, I am doing something. In verse 6, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation. He goes on to talk about their evil, their wickedness. They are more wicked than Israel. And the Lord is saying, I am using them to bring, or will use them to bring judgment on Israel. And that leads to the second question. Habakkuk modifies his original question because of the Lord's answer, because of Yahweh's response. And in in verse 13, uh, again, I'm going to paraphrase it. The question is is, uh, essentially this. Why do you allow the wicked to swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Originally, he's wanting to know, why, is, why are you allowing this corruption among your people? And the Lord says, well, I'm not. I'm going to bring judgment by the Chaldeans. And, of course, Habakkuk knows and the Lord states that this, this is a more corrupt people. And so now Habakkuk wants to know, Lord, why? Why would you, why would you do that? Why do you allow the prosperity of the treacherous? Why do you tolerate the wicked to devour those more righteous than themselves? Specifically, why would you let the Chaldeans have victory over the Israelites? As, as wicked as the Israelites are, I mean, this is Habakkuk's line of thinking, as wicked as the Israelites are, we're more righteous than the Chaldeans. Why would you allow them to overrun us? And idly look on. It's worded this way in verse 13. You are of pure eyes and to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? So you see his concern. He's concerned with the corruption in the land. He's concerned with the prosperity of the wicked. And all of these things seem to go on and continue to go on with no end in view, no accountability, no judgment. So, understandably, from that perspective, um, understandably, Habakkuk is somewhat uh, agitated. He, He is pouring out a complaint to the Lord. He ends up, what we, in chapter 1, he ends up by essentially asking, How long, Lord, will you allow this to go on? Verse 17, Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? Is this going to continue? This, this pattern going to continue? Are you going to continue, Lord, to allow these things, to tolerate these things? Now, what I want to focus in on mainly this morning is this kind of in-between statement we have in chapter 2, verse 1. In-between, that is, in-between Habakkuk's complaint and the Lord's answer. 
How long will you let this continue? And now chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch, set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So again, in chapter 1, he pours out his complaint. First, first complaint gets an answer from God, not the answer he was hoping for, but, but God uh, gives him an answer. In fact, enlightens him to some things that are going on that he would not have dreamed of. And then he modifies his questions somewhat and comes back again with another complaint in the form of questions. And now he's awaiting the Lord's reply and makes this statement. I will stand my watch, I will set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer when I am corrected. I think a uh, fascinating statement and one that we can learn from. We all have questions, don't we, about why certain things go on in the world. Why evil is. Why it exists. Why the bad things happen. Why as the question has often been posed, why do bad things happen to good people? It's the way it gets stated a lot, isn't it? Because our, our way of thinking, uh, if I think if we were honest, we, we wouldn't have a problem with bad things happening to bad people, maybe. One reason we think that way is because we don't think of ourselves as being bad. So, so we think if, if it'll come down like that, I'll be safe which is uh, uh, misguided thinking. But we all do know of situations, circumstances that, that seem inexplicable. One we're talking about this morning. As, as far as I know, from what I could gather, the information I had this week, uh, last Sunday... Uh, this family, the Matthews family, were members, uh, active members at Calvary Baptist Church. Last Sunday morning, I presume, uh, I think correctly, uh, Will Matthews was at church. This Sunday morning, he is no longer in this world. Now, that is mind-boggling to us. For a seemingly perfectly healthy young man, in a week's time, to get sick and die. And we see those, hear about those kinds of events, uh, experience them, and we wonder why. Why? Why do these things happen to good people? Why do these things happen at all? Now, we're not yet moving into... Uh, well, we'll touch on it, but we're not really fully moving into the Lord's next answer yet. Again, our, our main focus is going to be on verse 1 um, and then verse 4, and, and I'll probably uh, make a mention of the, the, the end of the book here where, uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll get to and spend more time on later. Well, I want to see this morning Habakkuk's determination here. And, and let me state up front that this, of course, is by God's grace. It's like, it's like reading the book of Job. You, 
you, you, you read the book of Job and you're amazed at what he is able to take. And it's because of God's grace. That's, that's it. That's, that's the whole thing. It's because of God's grace. You, you read Job and you think, there's no way I could go through what Job went through. Well, I'm pretty sure Job would have told you the same thing prior to going through it. But, as Peter said, we're kept. We're kept by the power of God. And Job endured because of God's grace. So there's a determination present, and I want to focus on that, but I want you to understand it is a determination that is a product of the grace of God. I will stand. I will stand. Now, here's a man who uh, loves God, and he's, he's pouring out his complaint to the Lord in the form of a prayer and, and asking questions. But do you see his, his heart here with, with all of the confusion in his own mind and all, with all of the, the difficulty in accepting what the Lord is telling him? He's determined. I will stand and I will watch. There's a determination here to trust God and hear Him and gain His perspective. Church, that is what we need so badly, all of us. God's perspective. On things, especially when it comes to the problem of evil. I mean, we're, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we're going to we're going to fully grasp it all. Okay, now I've got God's perspective, and I'm well. I'm good. I fully understand now everything that's going on. I don't have a problem with any of it. Not saying that, but we do need to understand that there is a a bigger picture. And God is viewing everything from a higher level. In fact, He's not only viewing it, but He's in control of it. So as much as He will enlighten us, like He does Habakkuk here, as much as He wills to enlighten us and and let us in on things, we need His perspective. And then from there on, just trust Him. There's still going to be unexplainable things. There's still going to be things that hurt or that we don't understand. And it's going to call for trust. And I think that's what we see here, an expression of trust. He's asking, Habakkuk said, I'm asking why, why, why. Now I'm going to stand. I'm determined to hear from God. Get God's Word. Get God's revelation. Get God's view on these things. The Christian must seek to view the world through the lens of God's revelation. We need God's perspective. 
<clears throat> just one way that plays out. This is just one example. But uh, you take the death of a loved one, especially one that knows the Lord, right? In, in, in 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul says, We are not like those who have no hope. Why? Because in, in death, we, we have God's revelation. So hopefully we have God's perspective concerning death. And we understand that it's not the end. And we understand that for the Christian, for the believer, the other side of death is reward. All this trouble that we're talking about that goes on in this life, in this world, death is the end of that. And you, and you leave this troubled existence and move into the presence of God. So, that's an example of God's perspective. God's perspective on death. So Habakkuk says, I will stand. I'm determined to trust God. I'm determined to hear from God. I'm determined to gain God's perspective. The Christian must have a Christ-centered determination. Determination to trust Christ in all things. Quote here from Matthew Henry. When we have been at prayer, pouring out our complaints and requests before God, we must carefully observe what answers God gives by His Word, His Spirit, and His providences to our humble representations. So Matthew Henry is saying that God's answer will come through His Word, that is, reading the Bible, through His Spirit, God dealing with us inwardly, and through His providences, that is just how He orders things in our lives, in His sovereignty. Matthew Henry goes on, When David says, I will direct my prayer unto thee, as an arrow to the mark, Psalm 85, 8. He adds, and as David adds, I will look up, will look after my prayer, as a man does after the arrow he has shot. <laughs> In other words, he likens prayer to shooting an arrow, and the archer releases the arrow, and then he looks up and watches as it moves toward the mark. And Matthew Henry is saying that's, that's the way David is treating prayer. I will direct my prayer unto thee as an arrow to the mark, and I will look up, waiting for an answer. Psalm 85, 8, the verse I just mentioned, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people and to His saints. I will stand, Habakkuk says. I'm, I'm determined. There's a, there is a determination present in the life 
of a Christian, of a God-fearer, of a believer. There's a determination. I will stand. It's the product of the grace of God. He doesn't, he doesn't put you in the world to do a work without equipping you to do the work. I will stand my watch. Again, he's, he has released the arrow. He has made his supplication. He has made his complaint. Now, like David, I will look up. I'm going to watch. I'm going to stand and I'm going to watch. Why? Because I'm determined to hear God's Word. So I will stand, watch, and set myself on the rampart. The picture here, the metaphor, I'm assuming it's a metaphor. He, he may have literally done it. I don't, I don't know. You know, they did. They had little towers on the wall. In those days, and the watchman would get in the tower and watch for the enemy. That's the picture here. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart or in the tower and watch to see what he will say to me. So again, he's, he, he, there's a determination, and he, he is determined to hear from God. I will set myself on the rampart. Quick word here. I, I, I thought this was uh, interesting and, and well said. Um, Calvin, John Calvin's comment here. <clears throat> because you might, you might be saying to yourself, if this is, well, certainly it's going to be a metaphor for us. We don't have a literal wall and tower to climb up in and wait to hear from God. But uh, you might say, well, how would this play out? How can I apply this? John Calvin interprets it this way, For the prophet finding himself sinking, (laughs) and we can all identify with that, can't we? For the prophet finding himself sinking, and as it were, overwhelmed in the deepest abyss, raises himself up above the judgment and reason of men, and comes nearer to God. Climbing up in the watchtower comes nearer to God that he might see from on high the things which take place on earth and not judge according to the understanding of his own flesh, but by the light of the Holy Spirit. For the tower of which he speaks is patience arising from hope. If indeed we would struggle perseveringly to the last and at length obtain the victory over all trials and conflicts, we must rise above the world. The tower is the recess of the mind where we withdraw ourselves from the world. For we find how disposed we are all to entertain distrust. So so he's saying, uh, I'm going to... Stand, set myself in the tower, on the rampart. I'm going to look to God. I'm going to rise up above the reason of men. I want to listen for the voice of God. I need the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that I may gain God's perspective on things. Because, as Calvin says here, We are all disposed to entertain distrust. That's, that's what we do naturally. We have a propensity toward distrust. 
things aren't the way we want them, things aren't going the way we'd like them to. And our temptation is to distrust God. Maybe even be tempted to think that all of this is happening, all the corruption in the land, all of the prosperity of the enemy is just fate. Blind chance. There was a book, and I haven't read it, just heard about it, um, years ago, I don't know, at least ten years ago, maybe longer than that. A rabbi, Jewish rabbi, wrote a book entitled with that question, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And his conclusion was that God can't help it. God can't help it. Out of good intentions, I think. In other words, he's trying to make the case that God doesn't like it either. God is a God of love, which, of course, God is love. And so he came to the conclusion that there's no way that these things can be happening according to the plan of God. Therefore, God is somewhat like us in that he just can't do anything about it. That falls in line with the temptation that John Calvin is talking about. In other words, what I'm saying is that is distrust. One more quote here on that part of the passage. Again, Matthew Henry. Those that expect to hear from God must withdraw from the world and get above it, must raise their attention, fix their thoughts, study the Scripture, consult experiences and the experienced, (laughs) continue instant in prayer, and set themselves upon the tower. Those that expect to hear from God must raise their attention. That's what Habakkuk is doing. Oh, he's been focused on the trouble. That's why he came to God in the first place. Now, now he says, I'm going to stand and watch. Or like David, look up. Raise my attention above the world where all the chaos is, where all the problems are, where all the corruption, where all the evil is. I want to raise my attention above that. Or you could say like like. In Job's case, I want to lift my attention above the world because down here I'm getting all kinds of advice and all kinds of criticism from men who think they know what's going on. So I'm going to raise my attention toward God. What he's saying is, I need to hear from God. In order to deal with the trouble in this world, in order to put it in proper perspective... In order to endure, Habakkuk is saying, Matthew Henry is saying, I need to be God-focused, attentive to God, what He is saying. They must raise their attention, 
Fix their thoughts. Study the Scriptures, Matthew Henry says. You want to hear from God, study the Scripture. Let me, let me tell you something. I honestly believe this. There is no substitute for that. It just doesn't exist. You say, well, I, get, I go to prayer and talk to God. That's good, as long as that is, you're doing that along with studying the Scripture. <laughs> the two go hand in hand. But you can't leave out studying the Scripture. You can't leave out, let me take that a little farther. You can't leave out reading. I hated reading as a young man. Started out pretty good. I remember when I was a little kid and they would have these little uh, contests over the summer, you know, summer reading things, and they'd uh, give you some kind of little rewards if you'd read, you know, and I'd read these books and fill up my little, you know, get all my little stickers and get my rewards. And but then somewhere along the line, listen, folks, and I'm not bragging on this for you, t- you teenagers here, all right? Do not follow this example. I I honestly did not read one book in my high school years. They assigned a lot of them, I I mean, best I recall. But I did not read. I did not read. I hated reading. And they assigned books, and consequently my grades reflected that. So, uh, you know, you reap what you sow. (laughs) <laughs> you don't get good grades unless you do this. At least I didn't figure out a way to do it. <clears throat> Reading is so important. Now, most importantly, like Matthew Henry is saying, you must read the Bible. That is the most important thing. But also, find good books. When I say good books, I mean books about Christ, <laughs> about the Scripture, um, theology books, uh, Christian living books, not just any Christian living books. You go to you go to the uh, Lifeway or somewhere like that, and I'm, uh, I think you're going to have to look for some good ones. Okay, uh, don't just assume that because they're in there, they're good. They're not. They're not all good, but good Christian living books. Read after men and women of God uh, who have trekked this path before us. I know I've, I've had people tell me, and I did this too for a time. I've had people tell me, well, you know what? I, I try to stay away from commentaries and things because I don't want to get men's ideas in my head. So I just read the Scripture and you know, God speaks to me. <clears throat> problem with that is Ephesians 4 says God does that through teachers. God gave gifts to men, apostles. Prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. God has gifted certain individuals to teach, and we learn from them. Yes, we learn directly as well. That's why I say Bible study should not be uh, an option. It's a must. But you will need help in interpreting it. I've never met anybody that didn't need some help. We had a guy at the uh, at the Thursday morning breakfast make that comment one one time that, that I just the example I just gave. You know, I, I don't I don't read commentaries. I don't read a. I just I just read the scripture. <clears throat> and I don't want to be too harsh there. I mean, too critical. Like I say I've I've done the same thing myself. But 
But uh, one of the guys made that comment. And Austin Tucker said, Brother, this meeting is nothing but a commentary, and you comment as much as anybody. (laughs) So if you're not going to read after other people, if you're not going to, you know, if you don't do commentaries or whatever, then guess what? You you probably shouldn't go to church or anything either because you don't want to, you know, be tainted by the teaching of other men. You need the teaching of other men and other godly men and women. Read. Reading is a must. Heard some, somebody say recently, boy, this is a great word for the men of the church. Uh, those who lead, read. I wish I remember who said it. I don't remember who said it. You must read. Well, Matthew Henry says, if you want to hear from God, read the Scriptures. Consult experiences. This is a great saying. Consult experiences and the experienced. <laughs> you, want to, you want to consult with people that have been there. Maybe, again, in the form of a book. Or maybe just other believers that you know that are more experienced than yourself or whatever, more mature in the faith, or they've just been around longer and they've walked with the Lord longer, and so you you consult with them. And you consult with experiences. You watch how God operates, how His providences work, how He orders things. And you can actually be taught by the Lord in those things. And of course, of course, Matthew Henry goes on to say, continue instant in prayer. And in doing this, he says, you'll be like Habakkuk. You're setting yourself in the tower. You're raising yourself above the world. You're raising your attention above the world by studying the Scriptures, consulting with experiences and the experienced, and being instant in prayer. We need determination. Christian must have determination, and we need determination to know God and to know God's will. Secondly, first is I will stand. Secondly, what he will say. I will stand my watch, set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me. The Christian must look to God for understanding. We need determination, and we need revelation. And they're both gifts of God. They're both products of God's grace. We've got to be determined to know God. And we've got to be determined to hear Him. Hear Him. Let me say something else to the... To everybody, but I'm thinking specifically of the teenagers, the younger crowd here, but to to everybody. But you, you teenagers, all right, I hear this often said. You are the future. Heavy statement, isn't it? I mean, and the intentions behind it, people say that, and what they're they're trying to do is put put the weight of the responsibility on you. You are the future, and what they want you to do is, uh, Start thinking responsibly. Start thinking about serious matters. And I'm for that, but I would say it this way. You are the present. 
you, you don't think, you don't need to think merely about what the future might be or what you might do in the future or what the future might hold. You need to think about what you can do now. You need to think about what to do with Jesus now. Habakkuk's saying, I'm, I'm going to stand now. I'm going to watch now to see what He will say to me. Young people, you need to hear from God now. 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 You need to have a relationship with Him now. Adolescence is a myth, folks. There, there is a time when children are too young to understand certain things. Too young to grasp the truth of the gospel. But at some point, and it's not a specific age, different with different individuals, but at some point, you move beyond that intellectually, And in some sense, spiritually, uh, you move beyond that. Intellectually, you, can, you get to the point where you can grasp the basics of the gospel. I've heard of people, I mean, seemingly uh, reputable. I mean, there's, there's no way to know for sure until we... Get on the other side, but I've heard of people being saved, genuinely saved, or who Christians now, who who say they were genuinely saved when they were oh, say nine years old or something like that. That's young. But one reason they believe it was genuine is because they know, looking back, well, because for one thing, because they're now still serving the Lord and have been ever since. But but also they look back and they say, you know, I really did, I really did understand at that point. What I'm saying is this. Yes, there, there is a period from the time you're born up till some point, different in different individuals, there is a, a period where you don't know. You, you don't really have the mental capability to grasp these things that we're talking about, the gospel. But you move beyond that. And there's not an in-between. So there's essentially, and this is the way it had always been viewed, Historically, until very recently in history, and I mean in the 20th century, um, it had always been children and adults. Children and adults. And now we've invented this thing called adolescence and trained young people that there's basically a goof-off period where you don't have to take anything serious. And so, yes, you're a child too young to grasp serious matters. And then over here, you're an adult where you have to deal with serious matters. And then in between, there's this gray period. doesn't exist. doesn't exist. It's a product, an invention of our own culture. You need to hear from God. If you're here today and you're 15 or 95, you need to hear from God. Habakkuk has a determination to hear from God. A determination 
to receive and understand God's revelation. In order to get God's perspective on things, we, we must hear Him speak. That's why studying the Scripture is so important. This is God speaking. People say, where is this God? Why, why isn't He speaking? Friends, he, he has spoken. The question is, are you listening? Are you reading? He has spoken. Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch. I will set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. I need to hear from God. And then he makes an interesting statement. <clears throat> and, this is the, the final part of his statement, rather, and what I will answer. That's interesting, isn't it? I will stand my watch, set myself on the rampart, and watch to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer when I am corrected. Now, let me say real quickly, there's, there's a couple of ways of, uh, <clears throat> of viewing this uh, this last phrase, and, and I think most of the commentators that I've looked at, uh, maybe all of them, I don't, I don't know, but at least most of them, um, when he says, consider what I will answer when I'm corrected, it's interpreted as being corrected by the people. Because in other words, Habakkuk's got to carry this revelation out to the people and tell them God is bringing judgment and everybody's going to, rebuke him. They're going to stand against him. Say, no way. You know, we're the people of God and you've got it wrong. And so Habakkuk is, is saying, I'm going to have to, I'm going to stand, watch, set myself and watch to see what I will answer when I am rebuked or when I am corrected. Well, certainly that is important, isn't it? I mean, Peter says, uh, for example, that we're to always be ready with an answer because we will, we will meet that. We, we proclaim the gospel to the world, and the world comes back at us and says, Look, everything is going along just, just like it has been since the beginning. Where is His coming? In other words, they'll say, There's no truth to what you're saying. It's ridiculous. Your revelation of God is makes no sense. And so we need to be ready to rebut that. We need to be ready to answer that. We need to, as Jude says, defend the faith. Not for the sake of winning an argument, but just so that we can effectively proclaim to them the truth of God's Word. So that, that is definitely important. You're going to face opposition. And we need to study on how we will answer that. How are we going to respond to the correction or the rebuke? Not just verbally, but, but, but how will we react to it? How is it going to affect us? Well, let, let me take that over, the, though, to a different view. At least in my own, you know, look, looking at this and looking at this and looking at this. I see no reason why he could not be talking about the Lord correcting him. 
he's asking the Lord about these things. And so he says, now I'm going to stand, I'm going to set myself, I'm going to watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. It's like with Job. I read a few verses last week out of Job 38 where Job is corrected. Job, Job and his friends have all made their statements about why things are the way they are and why things happen. And in the end, God comes on the scene and corrects. And what is Job's response? In other words, when God speaks and says, here's the way it is, what is Job's answer when he is corrected? Well, he says, I, I will lay my hand on my mouth. In other words, I'm going to hush now. I heard about you, God. Now I see you, and I'm going to shut up and submit to you and submit to your will. I think, I think that's what Habakkuk is talking about here. So I find it interesting. He's going to give attention to hearing from the Lord. He's got this determination. I'm, I'm determined to know God. Determined to hear from Him. I need His revelation. And I'm going to give attention also to how I'm going to answer when I get it. Listen, he already got one answer that he didn't really like. Lord, there's corruption all around me. Why aren't you doing something about it? And the Lord says, I am. I'm raising up a people more corrupt than you to come in and wipe wipe you out. So he's already been corrected once. And so he's, he's not only giving attention to hearing from the Lord, focusing on God's revelation. But he's given attention to how he's going to respond to it. And that is so important, too, that we examine ourselves and ask, am I really submitted to God? Do I really desire his will. What will be my answer to God's revelation? Is your, is your desire, your determination to submit to the will of God? If God gives an answer that, that you don't like, will you say like Job, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or will you rebel? Habakkuk is is determined as a God-fearing man, as a God-loving man. He's determined. And he's determined to hear from God. And he's determined to respond correctly to what he hears from God. In other words, he's, he's determined to do God's will. Now, I said I was going to make brief mention of this. I think I do. I want to keep pointing us to it, and we're going to close here. I'm not going to spend time here. But this is where he winds up in the end, I, and, and we need to... This is where we're going, so I'm going to kind of give you 
you know, if you're watching a movie or something, you don't want to know how it ends up, right? Until I mean, you know, you don't want to spoil the ending. But but here, this is very helpful to know how it ends up. Chapter three, verse eighteen. Just to paraphrase verse 17, he's basically saying, if everything goes wrong and I lose everything, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high heels. He's determined. He's determined to know God. He's determined to hear God speak. He's determined to submit to God's will. When the waves, David says, when the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. Well, that's a picture of Habakkuk's time, isn't it? Floods of ungodliness. That's a picture of our time, too. The sorrow of Sheol. It's the place of the dead. Death. Sorrow of death surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. That's what Habakkuk is doing. And cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry entered his ear. Be determined to know him. Be determined to hear him speak. Be determined to submit to his will. Determination, revelation, and application. Can you say like Habakkuk today? Can you say... You're my God. You're my Holy One. Like the psalmist, you're you're my rock. You're my strength. In You I trust. Trusting Him today? We're going to see in the end. Lord willing, we're going to see. Trust in Him. He's got good for you. Would you stand? bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Dismissed. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.